You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. It's good to know that Pastor Nate's prayers are being answered because the Knights are on a roll. Great faith, isn't it, Nate? Oh, Simon, was it that funny? Your faith didn't help Essendon last night, mate. Uh, I'll tell you what I was impressed with just watching the Essendon-Adelaide game last night. There was no fighting on, so I had to watch AFL. Um, or we could just watch rugby, you'll get plenty of fighting, you know the old saying, um, I went to a fight and a rugby match broke out, anyway, um, AFL, I'll tell you this was cool, the commentators started referring to a guy, I thought his name was McGregor, it's not, I'm trying to remember it, Pete, was it Brody or something like that, uh, they actually said, they didn't say he's very religious, they said um, he takes his Christian faith very seriously, and they actually showed him before the game began, he comes to the sidelines before he enters the field and he kneels and prays in front of thousands of people and on national television. And they said he's got a tattoo there that says something about how God is a king over his life and with a cross and everything, and he's very serious about his faith. We need people in every sphere of life that are like that, not ashamed, you know. Uh, and because he is where he is, all of a sudden there he is, He's, I forget how many people were there last night. It was in Melbourne. So I think they said it was, was it 80,000 or something like that. So in front of 80,000 people, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation. Um, and we need that. So can I encourage you tonight, you need to be there. This is not just some gimmick on trying to whip it up and teaching you to talk about Jesus to people. This is the heart of everything we do making disciples, and it all begins with the thing of, I'm not ashamed, and I'm not embarrassed, and neither am I disempowered in sharing with people. It should just come natural. But actually, when you're moving in the Spirit, it should come natural. But some of us need some encouragement, we need coaching, uh, we need to know how to do that in a way that is tasteful. Let your, let your speech be seasoned with grace, Paul says. You know, we don't turn people off, we want them to see the goodness of the gospel and things like that. And tonight really is about that. If, if we're not out there and we're not serious about making disciples, we should just shut down today because we're just a religious club going through the motions. It is about reaching people and turning them into radical followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's what happened to me, and I think that's what should happen everywhere we go. The young man on the football field last night was not afraid nor ashamed to be bold about his faith, and neither should you. So here's a question. When's the last time you did something like that? where you weren't ashamed, and you didn't care. that Because we're living in a day, as Jez said a bit earlier, we're living in a day that's becoming more and more hostile towards Christian values and Christian faith. And we're in some weeks right now that are going to shape the future of our nation in incredible ways. And if we stay quiet, if we stay... Who was the, the politician that said, all, all that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing? I don't remember who that was. Um... We can't stay quiet in these times now. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to be stronger than ever before. You need to be there tonight. You need to get that. Because tonight's not just about some message. Tonight is also about an impartation of boldness upon us. 
and, and making disciples. And by the way, making disciples isn't the whole commission. It's fulfilled when we make, we make disciples who then make disciples. That's how I learned. That's what happened to me. There was no mechanics or anything like that. It just came natural because my mentor in the faith just naturally did it wherever he was at, unashamed. So you should be there, right? Well, that was about three people. Be more than that tonight, Pete, I'll tell you. Pete's pumped up about this. He, he just can't stop talking about it. It doesn't matter what we talk about. He just goes there. And that's where it should be. We went out, was it not yesterday, but the Saturday before, we went out to the square and we just thought we'll put a little bit of that into practice. And even before we got in the square, Pete Edwards, he's off and he's talking to the first guy sitting over by himself. He practices this stuff. So we should all be like that wherever at. And I know he does it at work. I do it at work, but my, my employees don't listen to me. You know. <laughs> anyway. Hey, I heard last week after I left was incredibly powerful. It was prophetic. It was powerful. Well done, Nate. Uh, we want to keep that tone in everything we do. By the way, it shouldn't just happen in here. You should have taken it out with you wherever you go. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, wherever. And we started this powerful, powerful series out of what I believe is the most powerful, kind of special chapter in the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8. Can I encourage you? You should read that if you, if you really, really want to maximize your faith growing. Faith comes by hearing the Word. If you want to get the most every week out of this, you should read Romans 8 every day. Every day. Read it slow. Read it in multiple versions. And stop and ask the Holy Spirit to give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation right now. I want to know Him better. That's what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Let's just do that right now. Father, we thank You for this Word. It's rich just packed with power and grace and truth. We want to thank you that faith comes when we hear this word. I believe today is not just a bunch of learning and a bunch of principles and a bunch of truths, which all of that is great. I believe it's about life and encounter with you today, Holy Spirit. I pray for every one of us. We venture into this truth. Our eyes will be open with revelation to see things that we've just not seen and our lives will move powerfully with wisdom. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation now as we open your word. Faith will increase. God encounters will happen. Captives will be set free. Lives will be changed because of the power of this word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, last week, round one. Got to round one. That's it. We talked about the incentive, the motivation for fighting. Some of us don't need much motivation. Believe it or not, I'm not the aggressor. I know you find that hard to believe. I'm a counterpuncher. I wait till somebody comes in, and then I turn into the Tasmanian devil. It's true. You know, kind of thing. I have to. I'm small. I have to, you know, I have to be like a bee at a... So, but you need a motive for fighting. Stop laughing at him. Punched him the other day. All right. But here's the deal. We, we looked at last week. Before you get in the ring, you've got to have your head in the right place. Don't get in the ring thinking you're going to lose. You've got to know you're living in the place of freedom. The spirit of life has set us free from the spirit of sin and death, or the law of sin and death. Because you are not under any cloud of judgment or punishment for anything past, present, and I will say this, and even future. The cross covers the future as well as the past. Hang on, you go, hang on, hang on, I haven't confessed it yet. I understand that, but do you realize that when Jesus died, every one of your sins were in the future? You didn't think about that, did you? 
and he was still ready to forgive. Past, present, and future. You're not under any punishment because Jesus took your punishment at the cross. Verse 3 of chapter 8. But you've got to get your head also in the place of power. You're not doing this alone. This is the key to this chapter. This is not about you gritting your teeth and going, I am a winner, I am a winner. I can do this. I'll train harder. No. This is the most thorough chapter in the whole Bible on life and the Spirit. Twenty times Paul talks about the Spirit in this chapter. More than anywhere else in the Bible. And let me say this. We've got to get this nailed. This is what the normal Christian life is about. The normal Christian life isn't this... "Mm, mm, mm." That's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life isn't the the determination to win and the gritting the teeth and and I'll make myself to be approved and I'll become the winner. You, You hear these guys when they go into a fight, all the hype talk? I tell you, the one I'm most afraid of is the one that doesn't talk because he doesn't need to. No, you don't need to. The normal Christian life isn't about your determination. It's about your surrender to another one who's stronger than you. So here we go today. Round two, we're in. Round two is about evidence. I want some indication here that I can win this fight. Listen to me. I don't know about you, but I, I, I need assurance that I can win before I step in that ring. I don't ever get in a fight knowing ahead of time, I'm going to get the tar whipped out of me today. I never enter a fight like that. You go, golly, Keith, how, how often do you fight? None of your business. I fight Janet every day, and I keep getting determined, one day I'm going to beat her. It's not true. Listen, Paul told the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, he said, all the runners run to win. They don't go on a race to lose. And then he says, so you should run to win. You should enter the fight with the idea, I'm going to win. So here's the deal. I'm looking for evidence, something that indicates you can do this. You can win this fight. And all of a sudden you think about fighting, and here's what you think about. When you think about boxing, fighting, what do you think about? Punches. Do you know, first and foremost, it's not about your punches? Hmm. You see, the kind of thing we're going to talk about right now takes place before you step in the ring. And any fighter knows, you might put that next slide up, Richard. Any fighter knows that there's something that's fundamental to fighting a good fight and winning, and it might surprise you, it's your stance. Now, it's not just fighting. Anybody ever play basketball? Who's the basketball players in here? Hands up. Is that all? Golly, it's the biggest sport on the planet. I think it, at one stage it was eclipsing soccer. All right. How many soccer players we got in here? All right, a few more of those. How important are the feet? Well, soccer players, it's everything. With a little bit of the head in there, it's the feet. Let me read to you something that found online from uh, a fighting um, uh, website. Proper boxing stance is the first thing that any student of boxing should learn. It's fundamental to have a good guard. Watch this. It's from the guard position that the boxer initiates and finishes all his action. Stance. Long before they teach you how to throw punches, they're going to teach you how to stand. Do it right. Because if you don't, then you'll throw a punch, but you'll throw it off balance, or you'll fall, or you'll whatever. Now, here's the deal. The whole of chapter 8 in Romans is not about a string of commands. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. 
really it's written in a way that Paul says, this is about the reality, the facts, the truth. He's come out of a system that we saw last week, all the way up to this chapter with a bunch of commands, don't do this, don't do that, you've been, you've been made right with God, now live the right kind of way, and he gets to chapter 8, and there is not one command in the whole chapter. So as you sit and you read through Romans 8, don't sit and go, oh, I've got to do this, I must do that. He's telling me, no, no, no. He's not telling, he's now observing. Listen to me. He's looking at your life and he's saying, you're not like the people out there who live by the urges of their body because you live by the Spirit. And he says, a fact. If or because the Spirit of God lives in you, you're controlled not by the body but by the Spirit. It's like God looking down on you and he's describing what he sees in you. I see somebody. Now you go, oh yeah, but what about that temptation? This is not a chapter that deals with temptation and slip-ups. This is a chapter that makes a declaration of how we live life in the Spirit. It is the only life. It is the normal Christian life. You go, yeah, but if you could see my life. Yeah, your life might be messing around at times, but I'm telling you, inside of you, there is something that God sees that you need to, you need to see. You need that revelation. Leon Morris, great, great scholar from Melbourne, said this. It's an interesting feature of the chapter, which is not always noticed, that there is not a single imperative. Imperative means command. Paul is, not, Paul is talking about life in the Spirit, life in which the Spirit guides so constantly there is no need for a string of commandments. Do you see that? It's all of a sudden, one of your kids wakes up one day and they are so good and they're just doing everything so right that the whole day you never say do this or don't do that and you realize at the end of the day, my goodness, Look at their life today. Well, that's God describing you. Look at their life in the Spirit. I don't have to tell them what to do and what not to do because the Spirit is doing that in them. So here's one of the greatest truths that the Spirit leads us in, and it's about our standing. Our standing gives us assurance we can win. So what's our standing in this? I'm glad, glad you want to know. Because your standing and your footwork is an indication that you're on the winning side. You can tell, if, if you've ever been in the fight game, you ever done some kind of fighting, you can tell when somebody walks in the, in the ring, number one, is their head in the right place? Because you can tell by looking at them where they're scared. Secondly, you can tell if they're prepared, because if they're standing stupidly, they're going down soon. They're not prepared. Well, God, in this chapter, makes it very clear about your standing can, can determine your winning. So how's your standing? How's your footwork? Your footwork's your walk as a Christian. And these verses tell us about the stance and our footwork that assure us of victory. And if we are standing firm and moving properly, we are going to win. He didn't say that sometimes you'll do something silly or you'll trip up. He didn't say that. He said, get your stance right. Make sure it's right. So down to verse 14, this is where it all begins. For those who are led, you know what that's about? That's about our footwork. Those who are constantly walking in the footsteps of the Spirit of God, they are children of God. Now, the word children there is the wrong word. It should say sons. 
Let me tell you why. It is literally, in the Greek, it is the word for son. Not son as in male child and God is being sexist. But what God is doing here, first and foremost, He's saying son as in legal standing. Got it? The son, especially the firstborn son in the family, was the next one in line to take over everything and had all legal rights and powers. So he said, those who are being led by the Spirit of God have legal standing in the father's family. He's not dealing with gender here. Let's keep going. And then he says, verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received... Uh, the, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, this is a compound word. This isn't just son. This is a compound word that is very powerful that says this. Your stance and your legal standing is alongside the rights and the privileges and the authority of the firstborn in the house. Now, you're going to see who that is in a minute. So right here, early in this section, he's saying, bang, you've got a stance that is right there alongside the guy that holds the highest position. Keep that in mind. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now watch the shift. He's going from legal to relational. It's not just all about legality. It's now about relationship. You can say, God, Dad. And I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest keys to this chapter. That the Spirit of God brings you into a relationship with God that was never known before by any religion. No religion on the planet knows God so intimate like this. And so familiar. Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, in this time, in the original, He does use the word children. So what does He mean? We are His beloved ones. This is talking about close relationship. So he's gone from legal standing to authoritative standing to now relational aspect, which is so important. I like what the expositor's commentary says. It says, the Spirit's ministry set forth in these verses may be thought of his attestation or his evidence in which he confirms for the believer the reality of his position as a son based on the adoption into God's family. You are positioned legally with authority, with power and rights and blessing as a son, as a firstborn, because you are children. And you can say, Father. Now, you need to know that the tense and the mood of this verse, you need to know this, the tense and the mood of this verse refers to a definite time. It's not saying, this is something that needs to happen. This is something that will happen. This is something you need to make happen. No, he is saying, this has already happened. That's what he's saying. And when did that happen? The moment you and I were born again. We immediately were positioned in the winner's circle. Us and him, him and us. You are already winning. Now listen to me, this is not just positive speaker hype. You know the hype of, oh, you're already a winner in my books. Don't you hate that when somebody says that? You're getting the tar beaten out of you. Oh, you, you, you're a winner. You're... And you know they're just trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to give you confidence with just a pep talk here. This is the truth. This is the reality. Because I know you face difficulties in life just like I do. You're going to face health difficulties, faith difficulties, relationship difficulties, financial difficulties. 
And I understand positive speaking is not going to pull you out of that difficulty. What is? Let's go back to evidence. Let's go back to the stance. The truth is that this stance is based on evidence of the sacrifice of the Son, the adoption or the inclusion of the Father, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. There's your evidence. That's what causes you to stand. You stand as a winner already. You have already been given the victor's belt. I'm talking in fight language now. When you step into the ring, you're not fighting for the champion's belt. You're fighting with the champion's belt. Listen to me. You know when a champion gets in the ring? I don't know if you ever watch boxing, UFC. I know some of you don't like that. That's all right. You don't have to. I do. But when the champion walks in the ring, got the robe on. Janet said, you ought to wear your stuff today. Well, it's kind of big nowadays, you know, and loose on me and blood stains and tears and rips and yeah my geese got all kind of stuff all over it including mold anyway you step into the ring you, you see a champion in a fight and he's going into a, a fight you know what happens he's front and center but behind him there'll be people holding the championship belts because he's he wants that opponent to see you're fighting the champion today. In other words, you're going to lose, bud. I dare you to try to take the belt. He knows that. I mean, apart from a few million dollars he's going to get, that belt is his life. And you've been brought into the winner's circle because of what Christ has already done at the cross. He defeated our highest opponents. It says that in Colossians 2, principalities and powers. He defeated at the cross. Now, you know, when Paul talks about principalities and powers, all the demon gurus have tried to define that stuff and say, yeah, they have levels of authority over regions and cities. I, I don't care what kind of thing you define. I just want you to know, Paul is stating that the highest that the devil has has already been defeated. That's what he's saying. And I want you to think of it this way. It's, it's kind of like you getting invited to be on a championship fighting team without ever having won a fight, which is in the natural is ridiculous. I don't want you on my team if you've never fought. But your invitation isn't based on how good you are, how strong you are. Your invitation comes because the champion wants to share victory with you. And when you step into the ring, the champion is standing behind you with his belt, holding it up and saying to the enemy, you can't touch this. You can't take this. He's a co-heir with me, so this belongs to him. And it means you walk into the ring with God declaring over you. Listen to me. This is one of these indicative statements. In other words, a truth, a fact, a reality. God declares you to be more than a conqueror. Because he's already included you in him and he in you. You know in the original phrase, more than a conqueror, it, it makes it sound like conqueror. It's a noun. It's, it's calling you a name. It's a noun. But it's actually not that way in the original. It's not a noun in the original. God is not telling you who you are or what you are. It's actually a verb, which means action. He's actually saying, this is what you do. Did you know that? It's a bad translation more than a conqueror. You go, Keith, you ought to write this because that bad, bad translation. No, there's reasons why they did that. 
the, the New American Standard basically says it this way. But in all these things, in other words, he just listed all this stuff that comes against us, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So as far as God is concerned, when he looks down at you, he says, you've won. You've done this. More than enough. Abundantly. I, I'll show you. Let's put up, put up the Greek for me, Richard. See the little omega at the end of the word? Uh, looks like a W. Omega looks like a W. That's a verb. And it's, I'll try to pronounce it. It's, it's Greek with a hint of southern. Hyperneketo. The first part, the prefix of the verb, is like our word hyper. Over the top. And the second part of the verb, or the verb itself means to conquer. You can conquer over the top. Not just the little things, but the biggest things he brings against you. Overwhelmingly conquer. You see what the word for victory is underneath? The Greeks would say, Nike. 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 So you need to know that God looks down on you and he doesn't just say you're a conqueror. He looks down on you and says, you can beat this. Now he's not saying that because you're clever, you're good, you're fast, you're strong. You're the best fighter on the planet. He does, it's not, that's not why he's saying this. He's saying this because he knows what your stance is based on. You are standing firm and solid, ready for the fight because you are secure in that stance. And whatever comes your way, you don't just take it, you counter it. There's no other stance that, can, that, that you can have that ensures victory. You can try a religious stance. That's not going to help you win. You can try a be good stance. You hear all these people, yeah, I, I hope they made it. I hope Peter let them in. There's no such thing as Peter at the gates. I don't know where in the heck they get that from. There are no gates and there is no Peter standing there. There's a father welcoming you home. I, I could care less about Peter saying, come in. Like, yeah, I'll meet you one day. I want to hang out with Jesus for about 10,000 years first before I get to know you. Our stance can only be found in him. Why? Because we trust him. We trust his work at the cross and the resurrection, and he adopted us and included us into the family and made us to stand. We are, we're adopted, we're secured, we are guaranteed. That's it, period. And Paul talks about this in a corresponding scripture to Romans in Ephesians 1. He talks about our adoption, and he uses strong language. Look at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ. Pause. What's the opposite of inclusion? Exclusion a horrible thing to be excluded it's it's horrible isn't it well how much worse is it to be excluded from god but you're not you were included in christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation paul said very clear what the gospel is it was the death of christ for our sins the burial and the resurrection of christ for our new life he said, you believe that, you trusted that, but it's not just a basis of legal standing now, there is a seal on this. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God didn't just take wax and some little thing and stamp on your forehead, Bunch! He sealed you with Himself. That's pretty special. Let's keep going. 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You know what this scripture talks about? It talks about security. You know what a, stand, a proper stance does? It gives you security. You're not going to get knocked over. You're not going to get run down. You're not going to get tripped up. You are secure. You know, adoption in the Roman times, Jews didn't really practice adoption. It was the Greeks and the Romans. And it was a big, big legal deal to them. I mean, it was huge. It was so legal and so binding and so real in the eyes of the people that one, I think it was Caligula, had no sons, but he had a daughter. So he legally adopted Nero. You've heard of Nero. He legally adopted Nero. Lo and behold, Nero and Caligula's daughter fell in love, wanted to get married. Couldn't, totally against the law. As far as the law of Rome was concerned, they are now brother and sister as, as good as if they were born by the same parents. And the law said, totally illegal. So Caligula had to change the law so Nero could marry his daughter. That's how binding it was. And Paul is using this language to the Romans so that they get it, adoption. Oh my goodness, how secure is that? And when the adoption would take place, they would do it in a legal setting where there were seven witnesses. Why? Because if this guy died and somebody said he's not a real son or the next one died or the next one, seven witnesses. You know, in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection. And so in adoption, it talks about authenticity, security, ownership, approval. And yet the Holy Spirit is the witness to us that we are sealed into this. See, when, when they did the legal process, they would put a seal. They would put that red kind of wax and they would put their stamp on that. And nobody, absolutely no human on the planet, had the authority to break that seal when the child was adopted. Not even the adopted one. We can't look at adoption today and all the insecurities people have with it and think that's what Paul's talking about. It is nothing like what Paul's talking about. To be adopted in his day was one of the highest privileges they could have had. And it gave such a security. And it'll never be broken because you belong to him and he approves of you. But it doesn't just talk security, it also talks ability. Listen to me. Adoption gave the child who was, who was legally adopted all the rights, the privileges, and the authority that were given to the natural-born first son. Listen. This is very important. What happens, if, what happens if they adopt a son and bang, wife gets pregnant. They didn't expect it. And a natural son is born. Surely the natural son will trump the adopted son and take over the estate? No. The adopted son still has authority over the natural born son. That's how powerful it was. Now, here's what God said. Watch this. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of all of God's kingdom, which places us alongside the firstborn, co-heirs with Christ. So what's he inherited? Kingdom, power, rulership, dominion, authority, ability to trample on snakes and scorpions. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you know what God is saying? That belongs to you. Just like it belongs to him, it belongs to you. You have the ability. That's why Jesus said, you can trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome how much power of the enemy? All, not some, not a little bit, not 
just that segment of his power all the power of the enemy you can overcome jesus on on his last hours on the planet as a human looked at him and said you know all this stuff i've been doing i've been doing it as god's son as the heir to god's kingdom you're going to do that but not just that even greater this is our stance this is listen this is what paul's saying this is the ultimate evidence that victory belongs to you it doesn't it doesn't show up in your circumstances and all the stuff going on around you it shows up in what god has done and what he says over you and releases to you that you stand with the ability to perpetuate the name and the estate of our father wherever we are that's the kingdom of god man we okay evidence stands Let's go back to the other part of the evidence, which is footwork. You know, in a fight, it's not just standing, but it's how you move your feet. You know that. If you've ever been in a sparring or martial arts or anything like that, you stand as a winner, that's for sure, but you don't stand still. Listen to me. You, you're moving as a champion. A winner not only stands with security, he or she moves with confidence and sure-footedness. You can have confidence. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing. God began it, he'll finish it. And you know, if you're ever watching a boxing, anybody, anybody apart from me ever watch boxing or UFC? Are you afraid to raise your hand? Yeah, a few of you normal people watch this stuff. It's the art of pugilism. You know pugilism? It was called an art form. Take that, creative people. It is art. Pugilism. And if you ever watch it, you know, you'll hear some interesting comments. If you're not used to the pugilism game, you'll hear, a, you'll hear the commentator saying some weird things like, gee, he's moving well. What's that got to do with knocking somebody out? He's not standing still. What's he running from him? Man, he's strategic in the way he's using the ring. Or... When they're in trouble and they're, they're in danger of losing, you know what you'll hear the commentators saying? He's lost his legs. That's a weird thing to say in, so in uh, boxing, isn't it? You'd think, oh, he stopped punching. Well, they might say that, but they'll also say he's lost his legs. You can tell this guy's going down very soon. His legs are wobbly underneath him. His footing is poor. And you know, for us, moving in a way that secures victory means finding our footwork in him led by him verse 14 let's go back to that for those who are led there's our footwork by the spirit of god are the children of god the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again it's a horrible thing to be in a fight and all of a sudden realize you are terrified i don't know if you watch anybody watch the rocky films they were awesome Rocky three, he stepped into the ring with Mr. T the first time and he got hit so hard and you could see the terror in his face. It haunted him for months after. Well, I'm telling you, fear has no place in you. So what are you afraid of? The spirit's not, listen, spirit is not going to lead you into places where you're going to get beaten up or defeated. I was kind of thinking about this phrase. It's a weird, I, I can't, if I was God, I wouldn't have put that there. The spirit you receive doesn't make you a slave and make you afraid again. Hey, Paul, why were you telling us that right in the middle of giving confirmation? Why do you bring up fear? 
slavery to fear what's that all about why didn't you just say the spirit God gave you gives you confidence and boldness why didn't you just say that why did you have to bring up fear at a moment like this and then it becomes obvious what he's trying to say is this you're not like the rest of the world you don't live in a state of worry and anxiety that you're going to lose and not make it be afraid be very afraid no we don't have to live to fear any longer fear of what I'm thinking fear of what what are we to be afraid of first and foremost you don't have to be afraid of God any longer listen to me you got oh Keith the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that's right that is all that is reverence that is worship it's not fear as in dread and condemnation you don't have to fear God that one day oh, I'm gonna stand in front of him did I do enough was I good enough will I make it will he condemn me will he reject me you don't have to be afraid like that I remember talking to someone sharing faith and I'm very religious and I just said naturally oh okay so you've got assurance that if your life ended or whenever it ends you'll you'll go home to be with the father and they said no I went what go to church every week read your Bible every day you've got no I said why don't you know because I'm not sure I've done enough I'm not sure I was good enough I'm not sure I confessed all my sins and I went wow that doesn't sound like father that sounds like judge and yet we call him Abba father you don't have to be afraid of God anymore you're not gonna be rejected you don't have to prove yourself to him you trust him he's Abba father you don't have to be afraid of sins control I think Paul's saying why do you keep worrying about whether one day you're gonna be taken out by sin listen to me this is so real to so many people I just the thought life the sometimes I get tempted and sometimes I even give in to temptation and this that and the other listen if you go back and you read verses 5 to verse 11 you know what you're gonna see Paul is saying there are people who are totally consumed by their urges and their desires and the sinful part of their life and then he gets to verse 9 and says but you are not like that because the Spirit of God lives in you don't be afraid that sin is going to control you because you are not like that you're not dictated to controlled by the old nature that's not you you don't have to live with that and then he rounds it off with verse 12 therefore dear brothers sisters you have no obligation you have no debt no payment no obligation whatsoever to do what that old nature is trying to get you to do just tell it to nick off no authority over you you don't have to give in because you're not like that you don't have to live with the fear that sin's gonna take you out it's not gonna take you out you're more than a conqueror do you remember the series we did it's a great series in him you remember that about 18 months ago in him I said it was powerful and I started thinking about that earlier this year and I started reading again through some scriptures and you know what I found as I was reading through the scriptures that God talks about in him but he also talks about what's in you that's interesting like he says Christ in you the hope of glory and over and over through the New Testament God begins to describe and to say what is actually inside of you it's not just you in him but it's him in you 
And this is what he's saying in this, in this passage. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, he continually guides us to places of victory. You know, Jesus said it very clearly. You ask your dad for a piece of bread, you think he's going to give you a rock? You ask your dad for a fish, you think he's going to give you a snake? How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Holy Spirit is going to lead you into places of victory. He's going to constantly assure you, you really are a child of God, you know. Do you know the greatest evidence that you are born again? Is what's going on in here, not out there. Listen to me. His Spirit testifies, witnesses to our spirit. We really are children of God. I remember hearing Josh McDowell. I don't know if you've heard of Josh McDowell. He's an apolog apologist for Christianity. He goes to universities, written many books on why we should believe. He was, a, he was an atheist turned Christian. And so he, he knows how to reasonably argue that Christianity is real and it's valid and all this stuff. And he wrote this great book called More Than a Carpenter. And he talks about in that book historical evidence, scientific evidence, uh, is Jesus who he really said? And he, he's just evidence, 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 evidence. And you get to the very last chapter. And any author knows you save your best argument for the last chapter. And you know what his last chapter was? His crowning argument on the reality of God was this. I know he's real because he changed my life. That was more real to him than any scientific, historical any kind of fact he could find because inside of him is a person living called the Holy Spirit that has sealed it and said, you really are, you know. You don't have to be afraid of sin taking you out. You don't, you don't have to be afraid of life and its uncertainties. Jesus said, what's your life? Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Tomorrow might not even come. Think about today. And this is where we kind of get tripped up by things that come against us in life. Life can really beat you down. And sometimes Christians get kind of accused of, you guys don't live in the real world. Oh, is that not so? We get cancer. We have marriage breakdowns. We have financial crashes. We have health issues. We have life issues. We have issues. Bad things do happen to good people. He goes, so if that's true, Keith, then where's God? He's in the middle of it all. The difference is, it works out for our good, not for our detriment. This is where he's going in the chapter. You go, Keith, that all sounds well and good, but what about when bad things happen? Listen, listen, you got to know God is good, and he is working all things together for good. I can't see it when I'm in the middle of it, but I can tell you after I'm out of it, oh, yeah, you have one of those moments. Oh, yeah one of those moments and you know you can face you know round three is going to talk about life's toughest fighters we all face them even the biggest ones Paul talks about our final enemy death but we can face it why because truth is bigger than that thing death is not even the final truth oh it's real but it's not final I'm not trivializing it. I'm saying we don't have to face it with fear. Remember what David said in Psalm 23? Even though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. He didn't say, I stay there. He said, I walk through it because you're with me. And we don't trivialize, and Paul doesn't trivialize. He doesn't have some hype here in chapter 8 going, just think about all this stuff. It's all real for you, and, and you'll get over all of this. And This is not some kind of positive meditation that makes life disappear. This is the kind of power that lives within us that takes us through life and come out stronger. That's what it's all about. Come on, let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a minute. Where do you stand? Are you standing on a sure footing? Like I said to that person, so do you know? Are you, are you constantly battered by doubt? Or do you know beyond doubt that if life ended right now, you're going to awaken his presence forever? And you know that because you have a good father. You call him Abba, Dad, Father. He's living inside you constantly, constantly telling you. When it says his spirit testifies to our spirit, he is saying he is constantly telling us day by day, moment by moment, you really are God's children. Do you know that? You'll never know it if you keep trying to base it on what you do. You know, when I had my time out, somebody asked me when I went out, going on four years now somebody asked me do you think you'll come back I had to be honest and say I don't know because within me at that moment I didn't have the confidence to say yes I didn't have the assurance I was basing my confidence on what was happening with me in me and by me and I'd lost that confidence I thought it was all about ministry and I'd lost my total confidence in my ability in ministry and I'm telling you, through those months, Romans chapter 8 didn't become just legal documentation about me being a son of God. It became life and breath. I had an encounter, multiple encounters, where the Spirit of God said, Keith, this is about you being God's child, not about you being God's minister. This is about your standing in the family, not your position as a pastor. And those weren't just thoughts they were encounters with the Holy Spirit saying, this is real. He'll do the same for you, you know. But are you standing secure? So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I never want to give up this opportunity because I know, number one, people will battle with doubt and insecurity. No assurance. They don't know beyond any doubt that they really are secure in him but then there could be people here too who never never made that right you've been religious you've gone to church and that's a good thing but you've never surrendered to what he did at the cross where he died for your sins he was buried and he was raised again from the dead and lives forevermore to give you new life and you've never totally trusted that you've just been religious well this is your moment to get your footing your stance on him and who he is and what he did for you. And those of you that are suffering with doubt about that, it's not about you and what you do. It's about him in you and what he says to you. So I'm going to do this while you're still sitting. Nobody looking around. 
Because sometimes, you know, we need to confess. Yeah, I'm struggling with doubt or I'm not sure. I've never done this. Because the Bible says if we confess Jesus as Lord, we genuinely get saved. Confession kind of makes the thing real. You should never be ashamed of that. So sometimes confession can happen in many ways. And maybe today you need to confess, yep, I need to get over this doubt. I need to trust in him. I need to believe. And, and I'm standing today with a confession saying, here I am. Receive me, Father. And if that's you today, you need to get this doubt settled once and for all. Or you need to genuinely get born again into his family as a confession saying, all right, I'm not going to put it off and I'm not going to be ashamed. I want you to just stand to your feet if there's anybody here like that. I'm not going to make a big show of this. This is just about you and your confession once and for all saying, no more. I'm not going to live in the land of doubt and defeat. I'm settling this here and now with the Holy Spirit. And I believe you're going to have an encounter with him right here, right now. If that's you, just stand to your feet because I want to pray for you that an encounter will come into your world right here, right now. Maybe you've never done this or maybe you've never really come to the place where you're above and beyond that doubt just stand to your feet we'll just wait for a minute let the spirit of God work he's talking he's working now the Bible also says that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you where it's wrong He's not going to lead you to do wrong. He's not going to lead you to places of defeat. But some of you, listen, some of you are just living like you're punch drunk. You know what happens when you get too many punches, you're in the ring? You start losing your footing. You start staggering. You're about to fall. You're about to get knocked out. Life has just about knocked the wind out of you. It could be for multiple, multiple reasons. But you just don't have that sure footing. You feel like you're about to get knocked out. And you know what? Paul said, we get knocked down, but we don't get knocked out. Even Paul said, there are times I get knocked down by life. Can I tell you that here, right now, the Holy Spirit will give you the, uh, the ability to get up. So you've been knocked down, you've been knocked about, you've been beaten up by life, but I'm telling you right here, right now, there's an encounter with the Holy Ghost to give you a second wind to stand up and fight. And if that's you, you're here today and you're going, look, all honesty, Keith, you talk about fighting, but I'm just about ready to quit because I'm, I'm just punch drunk. I've been hit so many times, I feel like I can't breathe. And I hear what you're saying, but I've got no breath left in me. I've got good news for you. The Holy Spirit is called breath. And I believe he'll come on you with a new sense of breathing right here, right now. If that's you, stand up. I want to pray for you. I've had them. I've had the wind knocked out of me and I'm struggling to even breathe I hear what you're saying but right now it doesn't feel like reality to me I need something from God just stand to your feet let me pray for you real quick good for you anybody else good for you just bravely stand because what you're doing is you're saying that's me I feel like I'm ready to give up give in or get knocked out anybody else real quick just need this be anything could be a financial crash could be health 
could be all kind of things. Just stand to your feet and I'll pray for you right where you're at. Holy Spirit, I believe that there are encounters to be had this morning. Your life, your breath. You're not just a set of rules and principles and you're not just words on a piece of paper to try to cause us to be hyped up, but you're a real person who is here right now. So deep, so strong. So caring that you bring the closeness of Father God to us right here, right now. Lord, for those who are standing and those who still need to stand, I want to pray for an encounter with you that's so real. God, it becomes stronger, more powerful than the thing that's knocking the breath out of them. God, I pray right now. Holy Spirit, you are the breath of God. I pray that you'll just flood their soul right now with your power, your presence, your activity. God, take them to the place that no one else can take them and no strength on earth can give them. Holy Ghost, I pray that you breathe life again afresh and give them that second wind to stand up in the fight and to stand secure. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah, do what I can't do. Do what no human can do. Just release your freshness and your power and your life right now in Jesus' name. Can we all just stand? Can I get you just as we close out this service to ask the Holy Spirit for a fresh filling? Just begin to cry out to Him. Come on, let's just lift our hands. Let's just begin. You know, the Father said, you ask for the Holy Spirit, I'll give Him to you. It's not in the sense that we don't have Him. It's in the sense that we need a fresh touch from Him. Even the early church was filled with the Spirit over and over again. Come on, let's cry out to God right now for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of life, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of grace. Just pour out your Spirit, Father God, on us right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on, cry out to God for a fresh filling of His Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.